0: We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin, at Just Tries. Our guest today is nicknamed America's Life Coach. His own discovery and building of self-awareness led him to the field of coaching others, and now he is one of the most powerful coaches in the world. Beyond working with clients, he creates incredible content and shares free information that can help anyone reinvent their own life. We talked for a while about growing up in a cult, breaking free to build his own future, goal setting, and what it takes to be a successful life coach. Please welcome to Interview 42, Stefan Lovegrove. I always like to thank people first off for joining me on this show because I've learned that creating podcasts can be one of the most challenging mediums out there, but it's so well worth it. One of the first questions I like to ask people is the classic, who are you, what do you do? But I'll preface it by saying that because this show is primarily targeted at youth, uh, college, high school age, you know, if you were a guest speaker at, let's say, a college entrepreneurial course and they Asked you to introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Stefan Lovegrove.
1: I am a life coach based out of LA. And the best way or my favorite way to describe what I do is that I have conversations that change people's lives. Uh, and that is really at the heart of it all. That is really what I love to do most. I got into what we could call the world of personal development when I was in college uh, because I was going through a lot and I had a lot in my childhood that I was working through and healing from and I was feeling a little bit lost. I needed some direction. My life was in a lot of transition and in the middle of all of that i knew that i needed help i knew that i needed guidance i wanted to work on myself and so i found the world of personal development and through tools like therapy and mentoring and coaching uh, i had a lot of conversations with people who were very helpful and supportive that helped me figure out who i was and what i wanted out of my life and and really helped me move in that direction and so That was my introduction to this world that I have been in ever since. And now it's what I get to do on a, you know, not every single day, but on a a pretty regular basis with clients all over the world. So my hope and intention today is that this would be a conversation that would change somebody's life.
0: No doubt it will. One of my favorite things about this show is that we, I think, do a pretty good job of creating evergreen content, meaning that people could pick this up in 12 years from now, and it could still change their life, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of the things having got to know you a little bit over the years that you bring to the table in terms of personal development, as you put it, will be extremely valuable to many people. Uh, You mentioned that some people helped you at that point get into that field. Could you elaborate on who those people were?
1: Absolutely. I'll mention a couple here. So the very first one was probably my freshman year of college. And I like this example because I always believe in starting where you are. And sometimes people will contact me and they'll say, I wish I could do this. I wish I could experience this right now. I wish I could sign up for this. And I get it that it can be frustrating to want to have an experience, especially one that is, you know, beneficial to you and not immediately be able to do that. But especially with the technology and the options we have at our disposal today, there's always somewhere that you can start right now. And for me, freshman in college, my starting point was, I found out that my college offered therapy as a free option to all students, you just had to decide, you know, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to book an appointment, I'm going to take advantage of that. And so my very first therapist, freshman year of college, shout out Amy, (laughs) but my very first therapist introduced me to the concept that I had a lot of inner child stuff that was really hurt and that needed some love, that needed some attention and really helped me understand where some of my patterns were coming from and why, even though I was out of the environment I grew up in, it it was still affecting me today. And so anyway, that was a big starting point for me Uh, i would also put in that list the very first life coach that i was ever connected to that i ever met his name is jordan bach and I i like mentioning him because he is somebody that i literally just came across on social media and i followed him one day on twitter i believe first And I always like to remind people, you never know what is going to change your life in the long run, because it might feel like a very little inconsequential thing. But I I followed Jordan one day, not really thinking much of it. And that was my introduction to the fields of life coaching and ended up having very life changing conversations with him. He's actually the one that put the idea in my head. Of, you know, I think this is something you could really do as a career if you wanted to. So those are a couple of many that I could shout out that were there and instrumental in those early days.
0: Why do you think it was or did he ever share why he felt that you could do this? Well, so one of the things
1: that was going on for me when I met Jordan is I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I had known that I wanted to do some type of work that helped people that was a a positive healing influence in the world that made a difference. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. And the transition I was in was that I grew up in the fundamentalist religious cult that my parents are still a part of today. And really what was presented to me most heavily in that world is, if you want to do something impactful with your life, you stay in this world and you, you know, you do something in quote unquote ministry. You work at a church, you work for a nonprofit. you, you know, you become a missionary that spreads this religious message around the world. And so my whole life, this has been, you know, drilled into my brain that this is the way to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And so I end up in college and I'm not even sure what I believe in this moment. I'm working through a lot and I'm getting pretty clear that I don't actually think I'm supposed to work in the ministry world for the rest of my life, but I still have that desire within me. I want to do something to make a difference. I want to do something to help people. I think it was a very natural transition of There are other ways to do that besides just this one path that has been presented to you. And I think that was a lot of what made that transition make sense.
0: Right. Well, you're definitely someone who the idea of wanting to help people is like quite evident as much as we can get to know each other through Instagram photos or the odd reel and things like that and clubhouse chat. But definitely that like shines through, which I'm sure over the years you've realized. But at that point, were you confident in your ability to be able to help people? Or where were you in that journey of like feeling like you could do it? Did he have to talk you into it? So this is a very good question.
1: I definitely had an excitement that I wanted to do it, but I also was very eager to learn as much as I could. I think this is an important point. A friend of mine recently was talking about this online, this idea of imposter syndrome that people feel that they are not good enough or they're not ready yet to do the thing that they really want to do. And my friend was saying, some of the people who are having an experience of imposter syndrome would actually benefit from some learning, some education, some training, some practice, some experience. And sometimes the reason people don't yet feel confident in their ability is they haven't necessarily put in the learning or the, the work or the practice yet. And that would really build their confidence up. And so, you know, I think what was a gift for me is, About halfway through college, I really dove into what does it mean to coach? What does it mean to be a good coach? How can I learn everything possible to be the best coach that I can be? And so it's not like I walked in with absolute confidence, but I think I had an eagerness and an excitement that made me embrace the learning and the education and the training. And, you know, I, I got excited about let me take advantage of every resource I can to, to become good at this and let me take every opportunity to practice. And so. I think there was a confidence that was built up over time. And I just say that because a lot of people that are listening to this may want to do something, may have a desire, may have a dream, And a lot of, you know, a lot of motivational people would just say, just know that you can do it. (laughs) And I think where that falls flat is somebody might want to DJ, but they don't know how to use that equipment in this moment. And that's okay. And you don't have to lie to yourself. But if you're in that position, for example, the best thing that you could do is close the gaps. Where can you learn something? Where can you, you know, train yourself? Where can you learn something for free on a YouTube video? Where can you begin to practice? So we all have gaps with the things that we want. And I think what builds the confidence is deciding to close those gaps as much as
0: possible. I think you said the word learn or learning a few times in those sentences. So it's really uh, an awesome thing. I recognize that the brand and the title of this show as Just Keep Learning is like super broad. So obviously, it's going to be touched on in pretty much each episode. But I do feel like a lot of people don't appreciate that ability to learn for themselves, I guess, like they'll do the worksheets, they'll do the textbooks, they'll do what they're given, but they don't go learn for themselves per se what they're interested in. So you mentioned growing up as well a little bit. So kind of to take us back and not lose the chronological part before we get into the coaching stuff, were you always someone interested in learning? And what was school kind of like for you growing up? Mixed bag uh,
1: in terms of how I felt about learning. I think there were things I felt forced to learn that I I only did out of obligation and that out boring to me and that did not light me up but i i also would say i learned i guess <laughs> intentional word choice there i learned over time that where i could take responsibility for my own journey and and you know the more the, the older you get in school, the more options you have to do that, right? Like high school was the first time that I really got to choose the courses that I took. And so I, you know, I made choices in those moments of I like speech, I like drama, I like debate, I like these classes, I want to take these courses and learn more about these things. And I think the trajectory for me was the more that I got to play a role in, you know, curating the learning process for me, the more I was able to enjoy it. And by the time I got to college, I remember my view of even designing, you know, what was I going to major in? What was I going to minor in? What courses was I going to take? I felt like this is my customized thing that I get to build. And I'm going to study what I want to study. And I'm going to make this program specialized and customized for me. And even within a class, I would, you know, I would decide I'm going to use this opportunity where I have to write a research paper and I'm going to pick something that interests me, that I actually want to explore and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to do that. So I think I did that more and more and more as the years went on and it made it a lot more enjoyable and a lot more fulfilling than just trying to make myself get a grade or get through a test.
0: For sure. The idea of ownership is really interesting to me because some people start doing that super young to the point where like I see children or youth getting kicked out of school because they're trying to own things too much. And then some people really never figure it out. I was similar to what you just shared in that given like opportunities in university, I was trying to tweak them or asking for permission to do it on a different topic or kind of going out of my way to pick courses and and drop courses for that matter that didn't align with like being able to be creative so i definitely appreciate how much that can help people now you mentioned the term cult when you were growing up if you don't mind sharing a bit about that and did it impact this the school that you went to and things like that too or were those kind of separate things
1: I use that word very carefully and very intentionally. One of the things I actually chose to study in college was the definition of a cult, the dynamics of a cult, the psychology of a cult, because I really wanted to understand it. And I do think a lot of people throw that word around for all sorts of things, you know, from from a celebrity with a big fandom to a politician they don't like to whoever. I, I use that word very literally and seriously, but the environment that I grew up in, um, if we you know if we want to get very technical, the religious description would be my parents are part of an independent fundamental Baptist group. So that's very niche. A lot of people probably have never encountered them or are not super familiar. Um, it's not general Baptist. It's not Southern Baptist. It's very, it's a very specific niche thing. But the, the biggest thing that I would say is it was a world really governed by fear where I was taught growing up, basically be afraid of everybody and everything. And you can only trust us. I mean, this is how many parts of my life it intersected with, but we, we lived two blocks away from the main campus of the organization. Uh, I was born on a hospital, or in a hospital rather, on their <laughs> property. They had their own schools and all the way down to nursery, daycare, preschool. Our church was part of this group Hmm. Uh, so most of my life was all inside of this world and literally there were probably two things that really interrupted it one we did a little bit of travel granted it was for the sake of mission trips we were supposed to be bringing more people into the religion but we did mission trips that allowed me to travel nationally and internationally and so just by virtue of being there That gave me a look at life outside that world from a different perspective. And then in high school, like I said, I was very interested in speech drama debate and we started doing these competitions and we would go to other schools. I will say one of the greatest gifts in life is being exposed to somebody's world and someone's perspective that is completely different than yours. And that is a gift that is always available to us. Even just listening to this podcast every single episode, you might relate to some more than others. But even if you don't relate to the person, you know, to a T, you're getting the gift with every single conversation of somebody's perspective and experience and world that may be very different than yours. And that is always eye opening. That is always a beneficial thing. Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple glimpses like that, um, that (laughs) <laughs> that broke through in the middle of that. But yes, my school was was definitely a part of that. And so, for example, they did not teach us the science of evolution because they did not believe in that and et cetera, et cetera.
0: It's a really interesting thing that you bring up the idea of listening to this podcast and then having different backgrounds and things of that nature because that's something that existentially might be a strong word but maybe that's more related to what you had to go through but the idea for this show of like constantly fighting the kind of niche or niche warriors who say like if you don't have a show that's specifically about digital marketing for 16 year old females then you're not niche enough so to speak. Speak. And this show is about learning and, and the fact that lifelong learning ties all of us together. But I've just kind of like continued to shield my own goals and vision because I just like o- almost had tears come to my eyes thinking of what you just said about the fact that everybody's going to be different. I mean, that's even as true as it is almost an understatement. Like every single episode, I'm learning so much about different people and different backgrounds. And I'm just so appreciative and hope that some audience are equally appreciative, but it can be a little tougher to maybe build a show that way so i kind of appreciate the way that that you worded that you mentioned when you you first met your uh, mentor and the life coach on socials that at that time you were working through that cult situation or figuring out where you fit in the world so what did figuring that out for yourself as your eyes were opened what did that look like in practical terms
1: well i think a lot of it came down to not just being clear on what was not true for me or what I was rejecting or what I was leaving behind, but also getting a positive vision in front of me and figuring out what was true for me now. And one of the things I never set out for this to be the theme of my work, but one thing that just emerged as a theme with clients over the years is a lot of the people that I work with have something in their past, something in their family family, something in their childhood, and they they are leaving that behind or they have left that behind. And so they would say like, this is not who I am anymore. I don't identify with that anymore. I don't live there anymore. I'm not connected to them anymore. I don't believe those things anymore. And usually that's a very empowering decision and choice for them. Usually that is the right call. And yet something I'm very clear on is it, it doesn't work to build a life just out of reaction to, this is what I'm not going to do. This is what I do not stand for. This is the past I'm not going back to. Mm -hmm. There has to be a vision in front of you that pulls you forward. And at some point, you've got to get clear on what is true for me now. And so A huge part of that work for me was realizing that I did not align with all of the religious beliefs that had been taught to me as a kid. And I was clear on that at at a certain point in college, but then what is true for me? What do I believe? And I think a lot of people skip that step. And so I'll talk to people and they're very clear about, yeah, this doesn't work for me anymore. I don't believe that, that I don't identify with this stuff anymore, but they haven't found you know, a spirituality that works for them now. They're not clear on their identity of who they are now. They haven't found a a coherent belief system that works in their life. And I think that's crucial work to do for yourself.
0: Now, at that time or now, is that the way that you were raised and people you were raised by and all of that, uh, was it like a, a complete breakup? Or you mentioned things, like things within the religion that you didn't agree with. So maybe there are a couple that you do agree with, but were you able to kind of, like, I don't know if escape's a strong word. The reason I ask is that a lot of people who listen to the show and certainly youth that I'm blessed with the opportunity to talk to during the week about the show or who's coming on, onto an episode. So or talking about past episodes, like they're all going through their own unique but similarly difficult traumas in that they're really struggling through the teen years then stuck with like, how much can I leave behind? So is it something that you were able to completely kind of break away from?
1: Well, in all candidness, the way that it happened for me at 18 is I got kicked out of the house by my dad. So on one hand, there was a very clear line in the sand that was... drawn for me on that front um i I still do keep in touch with my mom we'll talk occasionally i I see her once a year typically at thanksgiving with some other relatives Uh, my grandma on that side i'm very close to i speak to on the phone a lot so it's not a, it's not an absolute 100% necessarily break from the family, mm-hmm. but I, I think there's an important distinction here because a, a lot of times what I see with clients, what I certainly went through myself is our biggest loyalty struggles are often not to the person, but to the identity or the belief. So I'll have clients that, you know, for example, they may not have spoken to their mom or their dad in 10 years, and yet there's still the voice of their mom or their dad saying that they're a failure, saying that they're not good enough, saying that they can't, you know, people like us can't do X, Y, Z. That voice is still inside of them. And a part of them still believes that 10 years later. And so typically where I point people is, it's not so much about the externals of cutting people off, or you can never go back somewhere, etc. But it's about making sure that on an inner level, you can fully step into the new. And I think the biggest challenge, but also the biggest miracle is often seeing yourself in a new way, believing a new story about yourself and letting yourself live somewhere new internally without being loyal to the old.
0: I heard a powerful quote just yesterday that was something to the effect of, if you are going to hold a grudge, ask yourself what you are asking that grudge to do for you. What are you employing that grudge to do? And it was Greg McCune who wrote the book uh, uh, Essentialism. And I really feel like that's similar in the sense that I see a lot of people cut, you know, siblings or uh, friends or parents out of their life. And then to your point, the grudge that they are holding still just eats away at them for so long that it's almost like they could have kept them in their life, but done the inner work as well. You know, like they're not, they're two separate things almost.
1: There's a spiritual text that I love that says you can have a grievance or you can have a miracle, but you cannot have both. And I think when we hold on to a grudge, Often what happens there is the grudge becomes our story and our reason and our excuse why we're not able to have or do the thing we really want. And I do think we reach a crossroads moment of sometimes it comes down to. Do you want to have this grudge be proven true yet again? Or do you want to have what you want? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be able to enjoy your life? You know, I remember a very powerful moment with a client a few months ago. And the, the point in conversation we arrived at was if they continued to hold on to the story that their parents had ruined their life, they weren't going to let themselves thrive as an adult. And there was a part of them because of the the legitimate, horrifying trauma they had been through, really wanted to hold on to. My parents did ruin my life. This did affect me. This did hurt me. And they really were a victim as a, a child. And all of these things were real, valid experiences. But they came to this crossroads moment where they realized, if I stay loyal to proving it true that this ruined my life, I'm going to always sabotage myself Mm -hmm. and not give myself a chance to really thrive. And if I weigh it out at this moment as an adult, which do I want more? What do I really desire here? It's not to prove successfully that this ruined my life because I don't want my life to be ruined. What I actually want on the deepest level is to have everything I want, is to let myself be happy, is to let myself thrive. And if I have to release the grudge to do that in this moment, you know, that's well worth it.
0: And I feel I'm filling in a blank, making some assumptions, but let's say that you got to that point for yourself. What do you feel it was that allowed you to get there? I know you mentioned that it was your dad who had kicked you out. So in terms of your own ability to feel like you could spread your wings and go succeed and achieve your own goals and dreams, what was it that helped you get there yourself?
1: I think the biggest thing was releasing the idea that I had anything to prove. I would say for the first two or three years of my business journey, whether I would have consciously recognized and admitted this or not, I definitely had a desire to achieve that came from needing to prove something. Mm. And I wanted to prove prove that I had not made a mistake by not wanting to be part of the cult. I wanted to prove that, in fact, I was not screwed, but that I was going to be okay. In fact, I was going to be more than okay. I was going to be successful. And it is it is a tough thing because so many of us end up in this experience where we're trying to prove something to someone. And it's really just ultimately trying to prove something to ourselves. But it is such a burden we don't have to carry. And, you know, speaking of the power of a podcast, this was such a random thing. But I remember this broke through, you know, on a deep level for me. But I remember I was listening to Dr. Phil on a podcast one time, talk about how all he ever wanted was to hear his dad say that he was proud of him. And he He waited and waited and waited and waited. And all the way up to the end of his life when his dad passed away, he never heard it. And he said there was a a moment where he realized his dad may never and did did in fact end up never telling him the exact thing that he wanted to hear. And Dr. Phil had to realize he had to make the decision to look at himself in the mirror and say, you know, I can't control this person. We can't make them show up differently. I can't guarantee you're gonna get it from this person, but but I can look in the mirror and I can be proud of myself. And that is something I can choose. That is something I can create. That is something I can give to myself. And it was very profound listening to this for me because, you know, at the time, Dr. Phil literally had built himself up to the number one most watched talk show in the entire world for many, many years. And to realize he could have that level of achievement and still... And still be waiting on something that he wasn't going to get to try to prove something. That episode, that conversation was very impactful for me. And I think it broke something within me that was waiting, 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 trying to prove something and said, whatever it is that you think you need to prove, give it to yourself right now.
0: Like you said earlier, those little moments, we never know when they're going to have an impact. And that's definitely a special type of those stories, the The power of the podcast and that idea of just like catching that episode, you know, the circumstances to led you to doing that and not knowing that what was going to be said or whatever. I remember one of those for me was like late at night and I was just laying in bed half asleep and I caught it live and this clip's gone like viral since from Will Smith talking about the idea of decisions and how like it's so important to actually decide that we're going to do something as opposed to thinking and it's similar to what you said earlier that a lot of people don't believe they can do it so therefore they don't decide that they can well you know sometimes you can only see so many rungs up a ladder especially again and some of the kids that i work with like they, they've never been exposed to success in kind of that external idea of becoming a musician or becoming a painter or whatever they want to do so why would they ever believe they could and then you know he was kind of saying that idea of just deciding and that thing has served me so many times and it was like one line from a late night talk show so i really love hearing those stories because it's like almost happenstance or fate or I don't know what you believe in that way um, but something spiritual that really helps us like I don't know you you landed on that episode so I'm glad it happened for sure because obviously that was a pivotal moment for you in terms of being able to build business and then subsequently help a lot of people and things like that 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 have really made a huge impact so you around that age you're in college and what were you majoring in and I guess what was your your vision for life at that point were you planning on being a life coach? I think it's kind of a thing that's fairly rare. So what did the version of kind of like pathway planning, as we call it in traditional school field look for you?
1: So because I transferred the name of the major shifted a little bit. But for the most part in college, wherever I was, my major took some form of religion or philosophy and religion. Um, I did not originally choose that, knowing exactly what it was going to look like or where it was going to lead. Certainly not that I was going to end up in the life coach realm. Uh, and I kind of infused some psychology and humanities in the back half of college, the more that came into the picture. But I went into the the fields of philosophy and religion because I really was fascinated by these big questions. Hmm. And that is something that is just unique. And I I just embrace it with my journey. But I'll have clients come to me in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And they're at a point in their life and their journey where now these really big questions about what am I here for? What what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? Where those questions come front and center for them, sometimes for the first time, because my whole life was... disrupted and restarted at a young age i found myself really drawn to exploring those big questions at a very, you know, relatively young age, I guess you could say. Um, So that's ultimately why I chose that major and stuck with it, even as I as my beliefs evolved, and I wasn't sure what to do with my life is I really found it satisfying and important for me at that time to be able to talk through and and write about and, and just explore those big questions.
0: I find it interesting that a lot of that those studies were religion-based, given that one of the challenges in the teen years was that idea of religion and then having different beliefs. Did you find that by taking religious courses and learning about the various religions or whatever way it was being taught, that you... Had your beliefs kind of like reaffirmed that you were right in the stance you were taking? Or how did you feel like taking religion? Like, did you find it triggering to do that? Like, what was it like taking religion compared to when you were told to leave your house, you know, when you got kicked out? Well, I, I think a couple of things.
1: One, I will never forget the first day of philosophy 101. And to sum it up very simply and succinctly, my teacher essentially begins by presenting the class with some version of the question that the ageless, (laughs) eternal question human beings have asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do bad things happen in the world? you know, inexplicably sometimes. Why do bad things happen that we feel people don't deserve? And he framed this question with the context that part of why philosophy and religion exist is that people have been asking these questions for thousands of years. And I think, number one, one shift within me in that time was a humility and an awareness of, you know, any any part of me that came in there wanting to end up with a set of answers that I knew this is exactly it. This is the, the one and only truth. I've got it now. We've got it all right. You know, I, I think a part of me wanted to go from one ideology to another, And that was still the part of me that had to unlearn the kind of cult, we are right, everybody else is wrong, us versus them kind of thinking. And so sitting in that philosophy 101 classroom, I just remember the the life-changing awareness of some of these things are just complex. Some of these things have uncertainty to them. Some of these things require mystery. And the fact that human beings have been asking these questions for thousands of years means who who are you to think as a 19-year-old that you are going to have or need to have all the answers once and for all right now? So I think that was a big shift. Mm-hmm. I also think within the realm of religion and specifically in contrast to what I was raised with, a- again, this theme I'll touch on of uh, being open to a different perspective and recognizing that there could be value and validity in a perspective different from your own. There were a lot of places where I had only ever been taught one thing. And I was taught, this is clearly right. This is clearly the truth. This is clearly what we believe and why. And I had not been exposed to other perspectives very intentionally. And I remember one time I asked my mom, and she's not going to listen to this, but in consciousness, I'll still say, love you, mom, despite our differences in belief. But I remember one time I asked my mom, mom, do you have any friends that have on anything a different religious view than you? even a single one. And she said, well, no, not really. And that was what I was surrounded by growing up is just we're in a bubble. Everybody thinks like us. Everybody is like us. Everybody believes like us. And you can be in a bubble like that, by the way, in many realms, not just religion, not just a cult. But the the point is, in college, I'm suddenly confronted with, you know, the people that believe different things, they're not just stupid. They're not just evil. (laughs) They're not just you know, something's wrong with them spiritually. There are people who have different views for reasons that make a lot of sense that actually have very interesting perspectives. And some of these things, for example, some of these things that I was taught within Christianity, this is what we believe, this is the one and only truth. I remember doing the research and and realizing, actually it's not that cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Even within this one religion, people have had a myriad of views, a lot of different views about this over the years. So it, it really opened my mind in that way And I came out of it all with less cut and dry certainty and arrogance, but with more of an open mind and an open heart.
0: I work with a lot of youth over the years. Well, a few anyways, not a lot. You can only have so many of these stories, but that have created what have been defined as terrorist acts, incel acts who were brainwashed at a young age with, you know, online kind of ISIS ideologies. I don't know if religion's the right word, but brainwashed into these beliefs. And it's fascinating talking with them, not to stick up for your parents. Of course, I don't know them at all, but the idea that they believe these things so strongly because it's so deeply ingrained that it's like, I've worked with some of them for a couple years and the cognitive flexibility to start even shifting that a tiny bit, it's its uh, scary it's fascinating, but scary is probably the best word to listen to youth like this talk about their beliefs. Uh, what's neat, though, and I guess a little bit hopeful, is that over a couple of years, I've seen them shift a bit and start to see different perspectives. But it takes so damn long for that to actually happen a little bit. And another quick story in an earlier episode that I so often go back to and reflect on, I interviewed a sister, Helen Prejean, who uh, the movie Dead Man Walking was made after. And she's now had 11 more clients on death row. And she shares that we so often will put people in a category of I like this person or I hate this person. I like them or I dislike them when in reality, everyone she's met, even all the heinous things they've done, have a percentage of their character that's awesome. But that can be hard to say, of course, to victims. But when it came to that idea of the beliefs that you said, the us versus them, was it like one big thing that you're parents disagreed with you on? Was it a whole bunch of things that battle? What was that that was disagreed on?
1: Well, I think for one thing, and I always acknowledge this, I think if I was born into the same world, but not me as a different person as a different version of me, there is easily a path in which I could see myself becoming a staunch fundamentalist, not a not a terrorist or something to that level, but I could very much see myself becoming a fundamentalist and staying in that world and another trajectory of life. The thing that disrupted it for me is I was gay and I figured, I mean, I am gay, but <laughs> I, at the time I also was gay. And I figured that out at around 12 years old I mean, that has been a great gift to my life for many, many reasons, but among them, that disrupted the narrative. And so here I am as a 12-year-old, and at that point, I believe everything I'm being taught, and I am so bought in, I am so on board, and then I realize that I'm gay. And then I quickly come to a realization of, this is what we, you know, we in this world believe about gay people and it's not good. And this is what we in this world say about gay people and how we treat them. And it's not good. Mm -hmm. And that internal conflict grew and grew and grew and ultimately got me out of that world. But I I do want to say the thing I'm against, just to be clear, is not those people or even that world. The thing I'm against is ideology and us versus them and separation that puts human beings at odds with one another. And I, you know, something I I always try to be very clear on with people is everything that a person is choosing makes sense on some level in their brain. And when we understand this, it leads to so much more compassion because nobody is choosing something. That their brain and, and who they are and where they're at in consciousness is not giving them a reason to choose. And so when, when we start from that place, I think we all in this moment could think of somebody that we think is, of course, somebody that we think is wrong. And yet, if you think about that person and how wrong you think they are, think about that person for a moment, especially if someone particular came to mind as you listen, And then sit with the possibility that everything they believe, everything they they have said, everything they have done, everything they have chosen has made sense based on who they are and, and what is going on inside of them and inside their brain to the point... That if you were to be in their shoes, to have had their life, to have been inside their brain and understood what was going on inside of them, that it would make sense to you too. When you remember that, there is so much compassion. It's not my place to speak for my parents. And I I don't want to ever get on media and like try to psychoanalyze, but I do want people to know everybody out there who's in a cult, whether it's the one that I grew up in or any other, everybody out there who is quote unquote, an extremist. I have so much compassion and I am very aware that what they're doing, what they believe, how they're operating, it only makes sense. And, And if we were them and saw the world the way they saw it, and had the same perspective, I'm not saying it's right, but we would understand it.
0: Well, there are two areas where I think you and I have a lot of uh, similarities, and it's the idea that nothing would surprise us. You know, I've heard you share that a few times, and I certainly feel that I'm right up there with the most in the world because, you know, I've done work in the world of human trafficking. I've done, you know, different things, grew up in a funeral home and gotten to know so many hundreds, if not thousands of youth. And the only ones I work with are severe mental illness tied to trauma and addiction and the families that go along with that. So like these kinds of things, like nothing, you know, surprises. Me. And then the other one is that sort of compassion or as best as we can empathy peace, because it's so hard to actually put yourself in someone's shoes. So that's why that word kind of bugs me a little bit sometimes because people will say, oh, I need to have empathy. And it's like they just pretend or they read a book about being gay, for example, and, you know, having to come out and how difficult that can be as a teacher. And they're like thinking like they have empathy for their student. It's like, well, maybe not because you haven't actually been there, you know? Along those lines, I'm sure people are listening. And uh, you mentioned being 12 years old when you realized that you were gay. And I think a lot of people have shared that they were much younger, some a little bit older, but that they struggled with that idea of starting to share that identity with the world. In your case, it must have been as hard, if not harder than anyone in terms of that part of being able to tell people. Did you find that it was particularly difficult because of your upbringing? Well, yes. And, you know, a big part of my journey was
1: it wasn't like I realized it at 12 and then immediately began gathering courage to come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I'm very aware of is based on our upbringing. And this is, you know, this is true for people with all kinds of childhoods, all kinds of homes and and growing up stories. But within your childhood, there are options you think are available to you. And there are options that you do not. Right. And there's a whole set of the world that you just roll out as I, I don't even consider that. That's not for us. We don't do that. Or, I don't believe that I can have that. That's not possible. Coming out for little 12 year old me was absolutely in the realm of the not possible, never going to happen. So it's not like I realized it at 12 and was going to come out. For me, I had a five-year journey of trying to suppress it, trying to change it, trying to be someone that I was not, trying to fix myself, trying to make it go away. So yes, it was very difficult. And I think the burden of trying to do that For five years and carrying the shame of, I don't like who I am, Mm -hmm. trying to change myself for five years and carrying the shame of, I don't like who I am. And I'm so insecure about it. I don't want anyone to bring this up. That was intense. And then only near the end of the the very end, really, of high school, was I ready to start talking about it. And at that point, it was, I just feel like I'm living a lie. And I, I have to be honest, I have to tell the truth and go from there, whatever the consequences are. But that is what made it most difficult for me is the five years of fighting myself on it.
0: Again, the stories are all going to be so unique, but obviously that's an experience that I don't have at all and so this kind of like ability to create some empathy just always interests me to be able to listen and learn but then also just as much or more for like a quote-unquote target audience right I'm sure people will be listening like you said at the top of the show and be able to have their lives impacted so maybe I'm sure someone else is going through that same kind of moment in their lives so I think it's just really special for them to hear about that and be able to know that it's it's okay and like see strength in other people's stories such as your yourself. Um, I would love to talk a bit about how that connected to you being a life coach and being able to help people. I'll tell you a quick story. I was telling one of my students a couple days ago and she's in the hospital for a mental illness right now. And I told her that I was going to be interviewing you and showed her uh, your socials. And she said, what is a life coach? She said, is that like a <laughs> And <laughs> you'll laugh. I'm sure you'll appreciate this. She said, it's that like an unqualified therapist. And this is coming from a girl who has had therapy on top of therapy on top of therapy and uh, was genuinely interested though. And so I guess, how do you define coaching and how do you see the industry from when you started to like what it looks like today? Sure.
1: Well, I will say it is funny because I'm coming up on a decade and I have stuck with the descriptor of life coach this whole time despite the fact that I'm aware it has a lot of associations for people that I don't necessarily agree with or that's not that's not what I do or who I am but I you know th- the reason personally I'll just say that I have stuck with it is though I definitely work with people on their businesses their careers their success in one area or another I- I'm also very passionate about the human being that I'm working with and their inner world that they have to live in inside of the success and their their happiness, their peace, their fulfillment. In other words, one of the reasons I've stuck with the term just personally is that I, I don't just want people to accomplish some definition of success without having really a life that they love. That is authentic to them, that is aligned for them and sustainable and feels good. Um, but to go back to the broader coaching discussion, coaching is a specific tool and, you know, set of skills that is distinctly different from therapy. I think people often position them as if it's one or the other, like it's a a battle or a which one is better. I shared very early on in this interview, I have benefited from both. I have many friends who I believe are contributing to the world positively through both. So I don't don't view it as an either or. Mm. I, I try to give a distinction that I think is helpful, but I also want to to acknowledge. This is just my distinction. Uh, there would be therapists and coaches who would listen to this and view it differently. The metaphor that I really like and give to people is therapy, as I understand it and look at it in, in light of coaching, therapy is designed to kind of be archaeology for your past, where... We look in depth at your childhood. We look at wounds that are there and unresolved trauma and things in the, the memories and in your history that have never been dealt with. And you know, again, this is a tough thing to perfectly nail it on the head because th- there are so many versions of therapy and there are so many therapists who do it lots of different ways. I would say based on technical definitions, for example, the DSM, is a big central piece of traditional therapy. And so there is this component to therapy of, you know, is there a dysfunction? Is there a disorder on some level, mentally, emotionally, et cetera, that we are going to treat and address and resolve in therapy? And I realize you don't have to have a problem per se to go to therapy. And that's not the only way that therapists operate. Mm -hmm. But I think it's fair to say that is in the traditional model that we are treating mental and emotional dysfunctions and disorders. And there's classifications for all of it, et cetera. So that is one world of things. And I like to use the metaphor that it's it's like being an archaeologist of your past. And I think there is so much value to that. And I definitely needed to do that with my childhood. Coaching, on the other hand, is like, as I use it and practice it and understand it, being an architect of your future And so that's not to say that the past is never relevant. That's not to say that we would never talk about childhood. But I'm very open with people on if there is an unresolved trauma that they've never confronted, poaching is is probably not the right choice for them. And I will happily refer someone I will happily recommend someone to therapy and to a good therapist, because I don't view that, you know, that's really where coaching serves people the best. I think coaching is about doing powerful work in the present moment and creating the future that you want to create, which I think is a very distinct purpose, you know? And so that is how I understand coaching. And I think it's it's a lot about sharing powerful presence with someone, being willing to tell them the truth that maybe nobody else is telling them, knowing how to ask powerful questions, knowing how to listen very effectively and deeply, and really helping somebody see the things that they're not seeing that are standing in their way so that they can get what they want. And that's that's how I see coaching.
0: Well, and I'll just say it. There are so many bad coaches out there. I don't think it takes rocket science to figure that out in terms of the industry, what are some things that bug you about it? And if you were to help somebody who would they themselves find you as like that mentor level now, they're thinking of getting into coaching. They're like you were at, you know, 1920 and they're thinking of getting into it. What are some, if we made that sort of like not using AI or chat GPT and saying, Hey, tell me the five things about life coaching, but literally from Stefan Lovegrove, what are your tips on being a good life coach?
1: Well, a book that I send everyone to because I think it does give people honest truth about what what it takes to not only coach well, but to build a business doing so, but doing so with integrity. And I think it explains this in a way that is not just painting a pipe dream for people to get excited about, but giving them really honest, solid, helpful teaching to go on, uh, would be a book called The Prosperous Coach by Steve Chandler and Rich Litvin. I love that book. I've often sent people to it. In fact, this is a little bit sassy, but I've even sent people to it and said, (laughs) go read this book in its entirety. And if at the end of reading this book, you're more lit up and more sure that you want to coach, then come back and we'll talk. I definitely would send people to that book. The biggest thing that I would say is coaching is not a quick path to anything as a career. And so. You know, I'm in my ninth year doing it, right? I don't feel threatened by the existence of bad coaches out there because I'm very aware that, you know, as that book actually talks about Prosperous Coach, this is one of many industries where there is a low bar for entry, but a high bar for success. Mm-hmm. That, by the way, that's also true. We could use an easy example. Anyone can slap the word model on their Instagram bio. There's a low bar for entry in that sense, right? But to actually have a prosperous career as a model, there's a high bar for success. That's true with photographers. That's true with actors. That's true with day traders. That's true with a lot of things, right? And so I never let that stop me or intimidate me, but I just decided I'm going to be the coach that clears the high bar for success. And I think if you really love coaching and believe in it and want to do it, understand this is not a get rich quick plan, but it can be a very fulfilling and meaningful career Mm -hmm. if it's something that you really want to do. And the best advice that I could give would be decide to be the coach that clears the high bar for success. And I think For me, one thing that was instrumental to that is As much as I did learn sales and marketing and knew that I needed to do that, it is essential obviously for business owners, I was always decided within myself, I will be just as and even more committed to continually becoming a better coach because I never want my sales ability or skills, so to speak, to outperform my coaching. I never want someone to feel like, you know, the sales were really good. And then when I worked with him, the coaching... Did not measure up. Um, and, and something I'm very proud of, you know, I, I don't say this like we need to be striving for perfection in this way, but I am very proud of the fact that after nine years of doing this, I have never had a refund request or an unhappy one-on-one client at all in nine years. But that's, I think a testament to, I really believe in this work and I really give it my best. And I've always been more committed to being a better coach and doing what it takes to do that than I am just being good at sales and I you know that that's a big thing to me I think with the industry overall I also think it's important to recognize y- you can't answer for every single bad coach out there, nor can you fix the whole industry. And I just say this because I think a lot of coaches who do value integrity, have very big hearts, get sidetracked a little bit because they worry that the industry makes them look bad or discredits them. And this leads to a lack of confidence in what they do. And so they think that the answer is going to try to be We're gonna weed out all the bad coaches once and for all. We're gonna clean up this industry. I appreciate that there's often good intentions and good hearts behind that, but I feel like it's a more productive path For you to decide, you know, coaching is now a a multi-billion dollar industry. I can't control or change the entire industry, Mm -hmm. but I can be a person that I can be proud of doing work that I believe in and can stand behind. And I can be so clear and grounded in that, that what anyone else is doing becomes irrelevant to me and what comes across in my messaging and my work and my marketing is uniquely me. And people know this is not a get rich quick scam. People know this is not somebody X, Y, Z over there. That, that's, you know, that's irrelevant. People can feel the heart and the mission, et cetera, behind what I do. So while I certainly acknowledge there is a lot of garbage in this industry, I also think focusing on clearing the high bar for success myself continually has really pushed me in the right direction.
0: What are ways that you are able to continue to clear that and develop your own ability to coach?
1: Well, I think on a continual basis, one, just keep learning, <laughs> to quote the title. But really, like, I think people who are designed to be coaches or wired to be coaches are by nature lifelong learners. And so there's never going to be a time when I'm not reading, listening, attending experiencing participating in things to always be working on myself uh one thing specifically that i think is huge I have actually had the same coach and coaching relationship in my life now since 2016. That doesn't mean that I haven't also worked with other mentors and coaches, et cetera, Since then, I certainly have. But I will say receiving great coaching for myself on a weekly basis really keeps me accountable and keeps me doing the work. And if there's anything I'm lying to myself about accidentally or sabotaging or not seeing, I think that is, that is huge for me, Mm -hmm. particularly because working with one coach long-term makes it a little harder to hide because she knows my patterns and she knows my history. There's nothing wrong with continually having different forms of support, but there is an accountability, there is a no BS meter thing that exists with having the, the consistency of that. So I think that's a huge piece of it. And then one more thing I'll mention is just staying connected to the needs and experiences of my clients overall, where people were at and what they needed in 2018 was one thing, where people are at and what they needed in 2020 looked very different where people are at and what they need right now in this moment at the time of this recording is yet again, very different. I also think there are timeless principles, tools, strategies of coaching that I will always use, right? I will always meet someone in the present moment, we will always do the work there, that there's things we will always come back to. And I think I am able to serve more effectively as a coach when I am connected to what people are experiencing right now. And I really do try to pay attention and and stay connected to that.
0: I really appreciate you sharing that you have a coach and I've always had a coach because I feel like there's a lot of uh, shame or guilt that people feel connected to this idea that they're hiring a coach sometimes and also they feel like it's maybe a temporary thing, whether it's in the fitness industry or business or in this case, life, they think like it's like a short-term thing or they don't really fully appreciate it. And I often say to them or share with people that it's okay. Like if you look at someone like uh, Israel Adesanya, the UFC fighter, it's like that dude's got like 14 different coaches in his life. Right, and he probably has one or two specifically to life in general, but then he's got all the different things taken care of too. And it's like, well, <laughs> he's certainly leveled up. Yet he has a lot of coaches. So I think it's something that people need to just feel okay coming to terms with. I know we will, you know, we can, we can, like I said, we could talk a long time, and we'll have to wrap pretty soon. But because a lot of people who may be listening to this, certainly, um I'm taking a bit of a leap. But let's just say they they wouldn't be able to afford your services and so of course they could maybe look at someone who they could kind of afford or get into working with but also i feel like maybe just some of the things that you do to help people when it comes to goal setting might be a really good way to kind of have a final topic here in in that you could maybe share some of the insights that you feel are similar as much as this can be tough because it's an individual almost as unique as our dna question i get that but what do you see some Of the common things that maybe somebody who is trying to dream but can't or has a dream and doesn't know how to figure it out that you would want them to hear? Sure.
1: Can I say one thing on the last question for a moment? You
0: can say anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just really feel led to to throw this out for somebody. If there's somebody out there who particularly works in some form of personal development, fitness, leadership, any of these realms, and has a judgment or a shame themselves around the idea of having coaching, what would people think, what What does this mean about me? I just want to offer this to somebody and whoever it's for, take it, get an aha moment today. But if you were to sit down and write out, what is everything that I'm afraid people are going to say or think or perceive about me, if they knew that I'm Fill in the blank, working with this person, have a coach or a therapist. I'm signing up for this. I dare somebody today to write out all those judgments, all those thoughts, get them out in front of you. And then what I want you to realize is those are your beliefs around coaching. Those are your beliefs around having a client. And that is probably reflected in your sales and in your business. And I just want to throw this out there because. So many of us, and this is really a a desire, vision, goal, thought overall as well, but so many of us want things and yet have judgments around it. So we end up with an inner conflict. Wanting people to sign up for your coaching while having a judgment on being a client is just undermining yourself. If that's where you're living today, I'm not judging that. I just want you to see that inner conflict makes it so unnecessarily difficult. Mm -hmm. And if you can clean up your own mindset and energy around what it means to get support, I guarantee you will project something better out into the world, into your content, into your community, because it's very hard to maintain that judgment and be actively selling to people, wanting them to sign up, disproving or or in in the midst of that judgment, right? So I just wanted to throw that out there. So go back to this question. The (laughs) biggest piece of advice before I speak to goals for a second that I would give is, whether or not you're working with me or anybody, show up like a client now and show up like a client with whatever you have at your disposal to work with. And I think one of the things that I try to dispel is this idea that if I'm not in a position to hire any coach or the coach I really want, et cetera, that there's there's just nothing I can do in this moment, right? That goes against Every principle of coaching I believe in because one of the core truths I believe is that every moment is a perfect starting point and now is the right time to begin no matter what, that this, this is the perfect place to start, not the imaginary idea of the future, but now no matter what the circumstances are. So what I would say is whatever you have available to you right now, how can you become your own best client of doing the work right in this moment? And I, I often tell people just very honestly, one of the biggest distinctions of what I see with my clients is, yes, they're receiving coaching. Yes, they, you know, there's a relationship and sessions and all these things, but they show up differently. And yet they show up in a way that is available to everyone. Mm -hmm. So for example, I might do a free live stream and I might give a journaling question. And I'll say, if you journal through this question, this question would change your life. What's funny is I'm sharing that on a free live stream that anybody could watch, my clients who don't need to watch the free live stream to have access to me, they may watch the live stream. And of all people, my clients tend to be the ones where they will journal through the question and then they will get a breakthrough. And then the breakthrough will lead to a result. And then before long, they'll be updating me on, this is what that created. This is what that shifted for me. And it's funny because that question I shared, for example, was available to everybody. It was just a question of who showed up and took it. You know, we serve people in a lot of levels right now. One thing I'm very proud of is we have a membership that people can access where you get all of the videos and teaching and courses and all the library that is available to my clients (laughs) without having to be a client, which I'm very happy to have that option this year. But even beyond that, even with my free stuff, even with YouTube's massive library of free stuff, even with the stuff at the physical library, even with this podcast, I think what people miss is the gold is not having access to it. The gold is in what you let shift within you, how you work with it, how you implement it. The gold is in if something spoke to you, if something ignited you, if something made you think in this episode today, don't think that you know. if only I had this or I need access to this or I need to wait for this. The gold is in working this thing, this insight, this breakthrough, this awareness. And the the last thing I'll say about goals is It really all comes down to knowing what you want and also being clear on any and all parts of you that don't want it. And really so much of the work can be summarized in those two things. Anybody could begin today to get a little more clear and a little more connected to what they want, forming a vision, solidifying a vision, sitting in the energy of it a little bit longer. Anybody could move forward with that today. And anybody could begin to check in with themselves on, is there any part of me that though I do really want this thing, is scared of it, or worries that something bad will happen if I get it, or any part of me that thinks I'm not supposed to want this or have this. And so those are always two places to look Is What do you really want? And what part of you doesn't want it? And there are almost always insights waiting there
0: that's huge a beautiful powerful I could call it mic drop moment I suppose and like it's funny because um, I always ask a few rapid fire theme questions to wrap which we'll do right here but I feel like I'm going to be a little bit distracted and sidetracked because you're mentioning those things really like have me in a reflective mode right now which is which is good so hopefully I find myself in the category of people that do take action because I'm trying to not reflect for the next couple minutes here (laughs) but I'll do it it afterwards.
1: <laughs> right. And, and for people listening, what I want to say is we're in real time and we have to finish this interview. But just to get ultra practical and not take for granted that people know what I mean of how to how to do this in real time, you are not in real time having to move forward. So if you're listening to this, And there's anything in this interview that got you reflective and stopped you in your tracks and really made you think, this is your permission slip that you didn't need anyway to push pause, to go back, to re-listen to it to take out a journal, to to stop the episode and write and reflect and integrate that I'm telling you that is where the gold is. And we may not be able to pause in real time. But that is that is the kind of thing I'm talking about is don't have a glimpse of the gold. And then just everything goes on the day goes on life goes on, you never come back to it. Do the pause, give yourself the gift receive what's there. That's that's exactly what I want people to do with this episode.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. People ask me all the time, like, one of the number one things I need to help youth with, and they'll think it's like, in education, it's English, or it's, you know, these math scores and all this crap. I'm like, it's always clarity. Mm. It's always. 100% of the time, for me, it's clarity, and that's their biggest struggle, and so I've had a lot of fun just helping them find clarity, and it's it's always, always exciting, but the answer is always different, which is super fun. Mm. So I'll do the rapid-fire things, but before I do, in case there's anything else that you want to share, or I would hate to have us wrap and then have you think, oh, I, I would have mentioned this or that about the topics that we're on. Cause you know, it'll probably be a couple of years before we do an interview again.
1: You know, I think the best thing I could say timelessly is that your life is giving you the right thing right now. That doesn't mean that it's going to look like this forever. That doesn't mean it's permanent. That doesn't mean it has to be your favorite season of your life. But if you trust that life is giving you what you need right now, and you take the opportunity to work with whatever is showing up for you, it always leads to the next best thing and the next right moment. So work with your life right now. It is the classroom, it is the teacher, it is the gift. I could have said that and it was true for me and true for everyone in in 2015, which is my first full year of business. I'm saying it now in 2023, come back in 2029, it's still gonna be the same.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and hopefully you'll be saying it in another 20 years from now. Uh, So with the rapid fire questions, maybe you just, because you added that, this might be it, but it's the classic. If you were to leave a piece of advice or some advice for the next generation coming behind us, what would that be?
1: All things are still possible for the one who believes. It is your turn to be the one. Beautiful.
0: And something that you yourself are learning right now that, you know, may be off brand and surprise people. I think a very calm
1: creation. I like excitement, but I think for me and a lot of clients, we've gotten to the point of wanting things to feel really sustainable for the long haul. And a lot of that is a very calm, restful creation.
0: This is where I get to flip the mic. And if you were to ask me a question that you felt my answering might help bring some clarity to my audience or the work that I'm trying to get up to, what's a question that would come to mind? Hmm... What is a
1: big
0: desire
1: you have for this show that would be a dream come true if it happened this year?
0: In the very practical, like short, like one sentence, it would be to be able to have it monetized, to use a cheesy word, but the ability to do it full time in that I could, you know, like an author, wake up and work on this show, you know, be able to walk my kids to school, maybe meet them for lunch and then pick them up from school and live that sort of, you know, solopreneur entrepreneurial life, but where this is the foundation of that for sure. And the tough thing about that is I didn't really decide that until, essentially, potentially This last little bit, having gone through some grief losing my two brothers in the last couple years and doing a lot of existential work and reflection myself, I had all these like buckets of things that I did, and the podcast was one of them. But this year, I've really realized that all the other things need to go on a back burner, if at all, because this needs to become the foundation. uh, Because I now, as you mentioned earlier, believe that that is possible and I want to make that happen. Because more importantly, It can be a teaching tool that I feel like high schools and colleges can use, and even youth just on their own, because I try to connect with those who are high school dropouts or don't fit into the traditional education system, that it changes lives for them in very similar ways that you do through coaching. Beautiful. I will hold the vision with you. Thank you. I really... Really appreciate that more than I can certainly put into words, which is hard for an audio-based show. But I think you know what I'm saying emotionally, spiritually. I just really do appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this because I know the field that you work in, you're highly sought after. And it really, really, really means a lot that you took the time to be selfless enough to share these stories and join us on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a a great conversationalist and asker of questions which we highly value in coaching
0: that's too funny i'll have to uh maybe make that the title of the episode (laughs) a title of a blog post i mean because that's 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 a great way of putting it yeah thank you so much i really appreciate it and um well end scene there we go we can be done but uh yeah thank you
1: there we go been a pleasure
0: JKL listeners, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you to our guest, Stefan. Such a bright light in what can often be a dark place of social media. As always, we love getting your DMs or comments about the show. If you have any input on guests or topics, don't be shy. Just let us know. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning you're one step closer to making your big dreams come true. But there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.